Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. The ancient words. On page 944 of the Pew Bible, we will read from Romans 8, verses 13 through 17. It's the tradition of Christ Community Church to spend a moment or two of quiet reflection on the Word after we read it. So if everybody is sitting quietly, don't think that we've forgotten what to do. That's our tradition. Romans 8, verse 13, on adoption. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children that heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. In Galatians chapter 4, also written by the Apostle Paul, page 974, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Please be seated. I am not the pastor of the church, Uh, as I said before, we'll hear from Paul very shortly, very soon, but today, uh, I'm going to speak to us today from these two passages, Romans 8 and Galatians 4. Keep your thumb in the middle and we'll go back and forth between the two passages. Uh, But before we do that, this morning, let's pray. Father, we come into your presence uh, a little bit in awe and maybe afraid. You're the king of the universe You're the one who created everything. You are the Alpha and Omega, omnipotent, everywhere, all at once, God Almighty. And yet you are our Daddy. We feel somewhat funny saying that to you, but the Word bears witness of that truth. And so, Father, I pray that you would Manifest your fatherhood on your children here this morning. May this truth bring us deeper humility, a deeper intimacy, and a renewed hope for the future. And we pray in Christ's name, Amen. The sermon's title is The Experience of Sonship. And Paul does use the word sons here in Galatians 4 and in Romans 8. And, you know, a lot of times when we see the word son, what we so often want to do is we want to neutralize the gender of that word to include everybody. So we might read something like sons and daughters of God or children of God. But when Paul uses the word son in these passages, he would not want us to translate it any other way than son. He's using the word very purposely with a very specific intention. And it's this. We are given, as sons of God, rights of inheritance. He says we have 
an inheritance. We are sons. We have the full rights of sons. We don't have the full rights of a slave, which don't have any rights, or even the full rights of a daughter. For in Paul's time, daughters did not have as many rights as a son. And so when you read the word son, all of the Christians or Christ followers in this room, you are a son, even if you're female or male. And once you discover that, and you also discover you have not changed gender, you realize what Paul is really doing here. He's, he's providing for us an analogy. An analogy. A comparison between adoption as a son and as a child or a son of God. So we're comparing between the two of them. You start to realize all of the words in Romans 8, all of the words in Galatians 4, in these passages, they all work towards this goal. Heir, slave, son, and adoption. And so adoption is our topic this morning. How does it relate to our relationship with God? I hope as we, as we talk about this, I hope as we come away this morning, we will have a deeper humility with God. Our humility will grow. I also hope that as we discover this analogy and some of the truth behind it, that we will have a new level of intimacy with God and also that we might have a renewed hope for the future. So we're going to talk about the experience of sonship this morning. I love the look of surprise on the face of a person. Uh, not the kind of surprise that says, I'm going to die. Not, not that look. I'm talking more about the look uh, like the first eyewitness of the Grand Canyon. That kind of look of surprise. A joyful surprise. I saw it just recently. Actually, Dave Kaif and I were at the park. And you know the slide with the tube that goes around and uh, swifts around. All, all the parks have them and your kids love them as, as well as mine and and uh, our kids were playing on the slide, and uh, a child comes up and says sheepishly and sorrowfully that Hope's fingers had been stepped on, and she's at the bottom of the slide crying. And so as, as I made my way over, by the time I got to the bottom of the slide, there was a little crowd that had gathered. And, you know, Hope was actually sitting in the slide, in the tube, and she was sitting there crying hysterically. And so people were coming around and, and asking her, are you okay, little girl? And, and, and as I approached, someone said, do you know where this girl's daddy is? And I just smiled. It, it happened before. Those of you who don't know, I've adopted a girl from China. And so we have a little Chinese girl crying and asking me, where's her daddy? And so I come up to her without saying anything. And I say, Hope, it's daddy. And recognizing my voice, automatically she reaches up for me. I gather her into my arms and her snotty, watery face is buried into my shoulder. And as I walk from that scene with my daughter, I see the look of surprise. That same look of joyful surprise. I love it. It's a great look on people's face. The kids were just kind of, you know, huh? I don't get it. I still don't get it. But the, the, the adults, they got it. I understand now. And why is that? You know, I've been thinking about that look for two years now. And as I've been thinking about it, I've discovered an interesting truth. It's this. People are not surprised at adoption. They know about adoption. It happens quite frequently. And it's on the rise. 
People aren't surprised at the general intimacy that exists between a father and her and his and his daughter. So what catches them off guard? What is it that they're surprised at? It's this. It's that the external does not match the internal. In the moment, right there, I never would have guessed that a girl who looks like that shares that kind of intimacy with a man that looks like that. And so in the same way, it's the beauty of adoption, isn't it? The same way. Me. You. How can someone that looks like you, someone that looks like me, share that kind of intimacy with a God like that? And that's the beauty of adoption. Well, we're going to look at three different dimensions of this analogy. The first is what I call the papers of sonship. As we experience this thing called sonship, there's papers involved. There's a preparation to it. And so we'll discover that in the text. And that will bring the humility that I referred to earlier. And then we'll look at the spirit of sonship. And that's going to bring us to new levels of intimacy. Some of us have experienced that before. And finally, as we look at the body of sonship, the body of sonship, that will bring hope for the future. So, first, the papers of sonship. If you'd look at Galatians 4, verse 4, I'll read it again for us. It says, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. You know, kids enter our families in lots of different ways. Um, all kinds of ways kids come into our family. Sometimes they're planned, and well, sometimes they're not, and they're a surprise. Sometimes we have one child, and some of us, we have twins. And some of us have triplets. What a surprise that would be. But here's the thing. The act of adoption is never an accident. It never takes us by surprise. It's never unplanned. It always takes us out of our way. It always takes serious planning. When we adopted Hope, our agency gave us a description of the adoption process. I'm going to read it for you. It says this. The first stage of adoption involves assembling a collection of documents called a dossier. We love that word, dossier. These documents must go through several levels of certification so that they can ultimately be used as the legal framework for your adoption process. So undertake that I need papers done. I need paperwork completed to satisfy the requirements of the law. I can't have this child as my son or my daughter unless I have a legal framework, unless the papers are completed to the satisfaction of the governing authorities. I read on. The stage is referred to as the paper chase and takes an average of four to six months to complete the finished dossier. After your dossier is given to China, you begin stage two, the waiting stage. This phase may be the most difficult stage for families as the wait time can be frustrating. And it was. We waited a long time. After, once you have accepted your referral, so we, we get a picture and a description and we accept 
the referral, we begin, the agency says, we begin planning the details of your travel, the third and final phase of your adoption process. So we have three stages. Paper chase, that becomes the legal framework, waiting, and then we have traveling. Not in that order, but all of those are in Galatians 4.4. God has done all of that to adopt you as his son. Look at Galatians 4.4 one more time. But when the time had fully come, that's the waiting. All of creation is waiting. God is waiting until the right moment. So there's waiting. God sent His Son. We went to to China. We didn't fit in. We ate food we weren't used to eating. But we tried to negotiate our way through China. That's what Christ did. That's a picture of what Christ did for us. He traveled all the way here to where the adopted children were, were living. So God sent His Son, born of a woman. And here it is, born under law, to redeem those under law. That's the paper chase. Your relationship with God, my relationship with God, starts legally. Your sin, according to Isaiah, has separated you from God. The wages of sin is death. And so to be adopted as God's son, there has to be a legal dimension. And the legal requirements have to be fulfilled. The papers have to be completed. And God did that for us. He went out of his way to do that for us. But here's something that that hit me. All of this happens outside of the awareness of the adopted child. If you think about it, did Hope know about the adoption process? Did she appreciate all of the paperwork that Shelley and I completed and the traveling and the waiting? She certainly didn't in China. In China, all she knew was she was in a basket with a bottle and a blanket and a clear blue sky. Wondering what was going on. She had no idea that we had already been preparing the papers to adopt her. It was out of her awareness. When she sat in a crib, one of 400, as she waited to be adopted, she was completely unaware. She did absolutely nothing in this adoption process. The point is this. God does all of the paperwork. He does All of the traveling. He does it all. That's how we get a sense of humility. Our salvation has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what God did. All Hope knew was that one day she was in a crib and the next she was in Shelley's arms. Ephesians 1 says this, Before the foundation of the world, God predestined us for adoption as sons. Before anything was created, before Adam and Eve, or a garden, God predestined us for adoption as sons. 
He planned it. We didn't. God chose us. We did not choose Him. God went out of His way for us. We didn't lift a finger. The papers of adoption, who are they for? They're done by God, but who do they satisfy? Think about that. My daughter Hope, or any adopted child. There's a lot of adopted children in Wilmington. You, you, you may know one or two. You may be an adopted child yourself. How does an adopted child know who their mommy and their daddy is? Does the adopted child require paperwork in order to satisfy that? My daughter doesn't. She never asks me for papers. One day she may, when she gets older. <laughs> she may ask me, are you really my daddy? But right now, she is utterly convinced of it. And the same goes with us. This paperwork satisfies not us, it satisfies God. It's His justice that we're working on. It's His legal requirements He's fulfilling for us. So the paperwork's it's for, it's for God. The U.S. government, they want to see the papers. The Chinese authorities, they ask us to see the papers. They won't let us leave China without them. In the same way, God, it's 100% God. God sees these papers. It's for Him. And that brings us out of the loop. We are no longer involved in this process. And so the papers of sonship, that brings us to a new level of humility... But notice, if you will, the spirit of sonship. Look at Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, God sent the spirit of his son. Your translation most probably has that word uh, capitalized, meaning the Holy Spirit. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And then flip over, if you would, to Romans 8.15. It says the same thing, but adds a few extra pieces. It says, 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I ask the question, what is the difference between a slave and a son? That is exactly what Paul wants us to think about here. He doesn't want us to think about much else. Right now, he wants us to think about this. The difference between a slave and a son. Well, a son, he says, is fearful. Sorry. A slave, he says, is fearful. A son, he says, is intimate. A slave is fearful. A son is intimate. Fearful because the slave is property. He's property that is used, not a son that is loved. A slave, think about it, a slave is only acceptable and worth caring for if the slave completes the tasks that they're assigned to do. If they don't do their job well, they're not worth taking care of. They're property. If my shoe continues to give me a blister, I'm going to throw it out and buy another pair of shoes. And so the slave lives in constant fear of, of being rejected. 
Their relationship is based on a job well done. I wonder if your relationship with God is also based on a job well done. Do you fear that God will throw you away and replace you with someone more capable? A son is not like that. My dad told me that he was just a regular, everyday guy who happened to wear a police uniform to work every day. And my dad used to hate all the stares. He told me when he would walk into a store or a restaurant wearing that uniform, people would stop, they'd, they'd hush a little bit, maybe they'd move away, they'd just stare at him. And he hated it. His personality, was he didn't like that at all. Some people really get into that. My dad didn't. 22 years on the force, I almost never saw my dad in a uniform. I remember one of the few times I did, well, I walked up to him and I kind of thought, that's a strange uniform. But then he turned to me and, and held his arms out. And as a, as a son, I jumped into his arms and he kissed me. And it was, it was great. And I kind of I felt weird. To me, it was, my, it was my daddy in a strange uniform. But to everybody around us, he was the law. If you are not adopted as God's son, that's all God is. He's the law. Paul says, you should be fearful of the law. And rightly so. If you read enough of the Bible, you start reading things about death and judgment and hell, you should be afraid before, before God. He is the law. He is a uniform to be feared. But to the adopted, he's our father. No, he's not just our father. The text says he's our Abba father. Remember when Paul Phillips preached on Mark 14 where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he told us that Abba meant in Aramaic, daddy, someone like an intimate name you'd give your daddy, your father. And so Jesus says this word, Abba. I'm taking Greek. It's very difficult. But I pick up my Greek Bible every once in a while, and sometimes I actually recognize a word or two. And I looked at these passages in the Greek Bible, and to my astonishment, Abba jumped out. Wow, that's not a Greek word. I've never studied that word before. It was an Aramaic word. Did you know that Paul and Mark wrote Abba for that reason? So that it would jump out? Why? Why didn't they translate it into Greek? I read a commentary this last week that one of the reasons they may, maybe they, they didn't translate it into Greek was, well, because they don't have a word like that in Greek. You know, I, I, I studied languages in college, and I know from personal experience, what's one of the first words a child learns after mommy? And after mine, that's another word that they learn. It's Daddy! I don't remember if Hope's first word was... I'm sure Hope's first word was daddy. That's one of the first words you say. All languages have a term of endearment for their daddy. And so Greek has plenty of words to use. But Paul does not use Greek. Mark does not use Greek. They use Aramaic. Why? This is why. He's communicating an experience in a word. He's communicating... An emotion in a word. Guys, we have a lot of problems communicating emotions, don't we? Expressing our emotions, being transparent. (laughs) 
It's even harder on the phone when you don't have a face to look at. You I didn't mean that. You know, it's, it's difficult to communicate. It's next to impossible to write it down in a letter or an email. But that's what Paul is attempting to do here. He's writing the word Abba, and he's trying to help us remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was uttered by Jesus Christ in an intimate, emotional way. He was experiencing intimacy. And so you and I, as adopted children, as adopted sons, experience a spirit of adoption. I'll revisit that notion. Ask any adopted child, who's your daddy? Who's your mommy? They'll never, they'll never point to a paper. They'll point to a person. And they'll remember an experience. So I encourage you, Today, experience it, the intimacy with the Father. I want you to notice that the mind isn't speaking here. Luther's commentary on this word says, Luther says this, The affection of the heart speaketh after this manner, whereas this little word, Abba, conceived effectually in the heart, passeth all the eloquence of Cicero and the most eloquent philosophers that ever were in the world. The papers of sonship are by God, for God, leaving us out of the loop and making us humble. The spirit of sonship is for us. We're right in the mix. And third, the bodies. Let's take just a brief look at the bodies of sonship. It's a funny word, the bodies of sonship. It doesn't actually appear in Galatians 4, Romans 8. But I'll lead you through and we'll we'll get to that point. Let's look at Galatians 4, verse 7. Uh, We read that as a son, we are an heir. Look look at verse 7. It says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And Romans 8, 17. Look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. We're heirs. What are we heirs of? Are we heirs of God? We're heirs of... What does that mean? I'm going to inherit God? Have we already inherited it? It says that we may also be glorified with Him. That's the future. I'm not glorified. Look at me. I mean, do I look glorified to you? No, I, I don't. I, I'm not glorified. I'm not. It, so is this the future? I have to go outside of the text. Let's look at Romans 8. Just skip down a little to 23, verse 23. And let's read that together. Shed some light on what Paul's trying to say. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Do you see it? We have been adopted. We do experience sonship. But we're waiting for the adoption as sons. What does that mean? The already done, not yet done. Already happened, not yet happened. This is a tension that that is all over the Bible. You can see it in the New Testament again and again and again. It's a theme. You'll see it all the time. One of the greatest places to see this, I think, is Colossians chapter 3. If you, if you look at that today sometime, you'll notice there's a dozen 
already happened, not yet happened statements in, in Colossians 3. So what about this? How can we think about this? The truth is that some of it has already happened. We are adopted into God's family. We do experience sonship with all its benefits and privileges. We do have the spirit of sonship, but not yet recipients of this inheritance, which is, which is this, to be conformed to the likeness of God's Son. Look at the end of Romans 8.23. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you see it? This is exactly why Paul uses the analogy of adoption. Think about it. Our bodies are different than our daddies. Paul knows that. Romans 7, who will save me from this body of death? I look nothing like you, God. Your thoughts aren't even close to mine. My rights, my righteousness, filthy rags. And Paul says it here. The redemption of our bodies is coming. That's why he uses adoption. It's interesting, I always wonder... What would Hope look like if she were made into the likeness of her daddy, conformed into my likeness? I'm sure she wouldn't get anything valuable from that. But think about being an heir of God. Our very bodies will be redeemed. We will conform completely to the likeness of Jesus. We will finally shed this sick, decaying, and broken body. We as adopted sons will no longer be tempted to sin ever again. We will never want to do anything other than exactly what God wants us to do. We will obey Him perfectly. We'll praise Him perfectly. We'll experience Him perfectly. And we'll trust Him perfectly. But we have yet to match our spirits with our bodies. And so we wait. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. There are many analogies in the Bible. Adoption's not the only one. You've heard of the good shepherd and the sheep, where Christ is the shepherd and we are the sheep, the dumb sheep that fall off the cliffs. That's us. You've heard of the analogous marriage supper of Christ, where the body of Christ, the church, is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. That's a great analogy, a good picture of our relationship with God. You've also heard of the new birth terminology, not the adoption terminology. The new birth, it's all over too. John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus that you must be born again. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'm a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. He says later in Galatians that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you see this new birth or regeneration terminology. So there's all kinds of ways to look at your relationship with God using all of these analogies. And I hope that you don't miss the analogy of adoption. And now in our service, we're going to begin our communion. If you think about that word, 
communion. It's another level of intimacy. It's another dimension of our relationship with God. And it uses an analogy. This bread, that's my body. This wine, that's my blood. And so together this morning, we will commune with God. I encourage you, think of yourself. Think of yourself as a son of God. And cry to him, Abba, Father, with renewed hope for the future. Let's pray. Father God, we, we desire that level of intimacy. I pray that you make it real in the lives of everyone here. If someone, Lord, is here that does not know you, I pray you convince them that the paperwork has been done and that the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship is available to them. I pray for a new level of humility, a deeper intimacy, and a renewed hope for the future. In the name of Jesus, we pray.